Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here today. Thank you for coming and joining us for worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church, and it is good to be back with you. I will always say this, it's good to get away. It's always good to come home, and it's always good to come home and be with uh, my church family and to be able to worship with you and to be uh, in worship with you. And so I'm excited about that. I want to thank Pastor Ted for filling in for me uh, last week in my absence, and I'm grateful for him uh, and for uh, staff that I can lean on. The Bible says that Jacob, uh, that Joseph worshipped, the Bible in Genesis, Joseph worshipped leaning on his staff. And so uh, I often do the same thing, uh, leaning on mine as often as I can. And so uh, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get away, and I appreciate you as a church family affording me that opportunity to be able to to uh, get some time away with my family. If you've got your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, please take them, turn with me once again to the Gospel of John and to chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is Palm Sunday, but we're going to take our text not from the typical Palm Sunday passage. We're going to continue and conclude, really, our, our sermon series through this, this series of signs that John has recorded for us in his Gospel that we've been examining and looking at over the past uh, couple of months. And and this morning, we come to what really is this, this it's the penultimate sign in, God, in John's gospel. The ultimate sign would be Jesus' own resurrection from the grave. But this morning, we come to the last public sign of Jesus doing what he did, and that is raising Lazarus from the dead. And this is one more fantastic uh, passage of scripture for us to read. And I'm going to begin there uh, in chapter 11, verse 1, and just read down through verse 44, because I believe there is power in just hearing the Word of God. The Word of God, if you, if you turn it loose and let it go, will accomplish great and mighty things. And so we're going to spend some time just hearing the Word of God this morning. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read here. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if, anyone, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he already had been in the tomb four days. 
Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, you will do. God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. And when She had said these things. She went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up and went out, quickly went out, following her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you and that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the word of God, and it's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can stand and read it together. We thank you that we can contemplate it that we can chew on it, and we thank you that it is powerful, and it is alive, and it is active, and that it accomplishes great things in our hearts. So I pray for that today. I pray that you would show us afresh and anew our Savior, give us an accurate representation of ourselves, and then help us to apply this text to our lives in a way that is appropriate for us. I pray these things in Christ's holy name. So there in your bulletins this morning, you've got an outline that I have provided for you. It's an outline with quite a few blanks on it. Um, 
it, it, it might seem a little overwhelming, but trust me, I think that we'll flow through as we go through this, this text. It'll, it'll flow easily enough. If it doesn't, you can tell me later. Actually, don't. Just keep it to yourself. But um, hopefully, we'll, we'll, there's a lot that could be said about the verses that I've read to you this morning. I have to concentrate on just a few things that I want to alert your attention to, a few things for us to chew on as we work our way through this passage today. There's, there's plenty more there. But I want to draw your attention, first of all, this morning to three puzzles that need to be pondered in this text. Three puzzles that need to be pondered that I think just kind of emerge from a reading of this passage. And the first one is, we're presented with the puzzle of a strange love. A strange love. That's the first sub-point that you'll see there. We're told in verse 5 that Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and, they, and he loved their brother, Lazarus. In fact, up in verse 3, Lazarus is even referred to as the one Jesus loved. Even so, we're told about this love that exists, but we must acknowledge that this love that, that, that Jesus had for Lazarus and for Lazarus' sisters was a strange one, an unusual kind of love. And that assessment is based upon verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that it was because Jesus loved this family that when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days where he was. Now that's, that's strange, isn't it? I mean, under, under normal circumstances for us, if we hear that someone we love is sick and in need, if we, if we find out that someone that we care about deeply has a, has a need in some respect, the first response from us is to put down whatever we're doing and to go to them to provide them with whatever aid and assistance that we could provide them with. It is a strange love. It's a strange love that intentionally delays providing help for someone. It's a strange kind of love. We might even say, if Jesus truly loved Lazarus and his sisters, then why did he delay in going to them? Maybe, maybe you've pondered that question a few times in your own life. If Jesus really does love me, why, why doesn't he answer my prayer? If Jesus really loves me, then why does he delay in responding to my heartfelt requests? I think the answer to those questions actually lies in what Jesus says there in verse 4. You see, having been told that Lazarus, the one that he loved, was sick, Jesus responds this way. He says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, don't miss that, and, 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 and don't miss that Jesus, in verse 4, reveals his purpose for not, not going sooner than he did. Why he delayed, the purpose was for the glory of God. Now, that doesn't tell us everything that we might want to know, but it gives us the reason why. Jesus delays because he is more interested in the glory of God than he is anything else. His number one priority as we read in the scriptures as he lived his life on earth was that he might bring glory to his heavenly father through his perfect obedience to his will as he lived on earth. That's his top priority. In fact, the glory of God the glory of God even outranked the comfort of this family that Jesus loved so much. So while we may be tempted to read what John writes here and interpret Jesus' delay as, 
as harsh and, and uncaring and as unsympathetic, the reality is the reason we see it that way is because, well, to be honest, our, our priorities are not the same as Jesus. If we're honest, our priorities are more something along the lines of, of, of our own comfort. Our top priorities in life tend to revolve around our ease, our well-being, our contentment, our health. But with Jesus, bringing glory to God was his highest priority. And that led him to display what to us may appear to be a strange love. That's the first puzzle. There's a second one. The second one I want you to see is it's not only a strange love, there's a strange joy that's presented to us in this passage. A strange joy. Look down in verses 14 and 15. Remember, all that Jesus was told back in verse 3 was that Lazarus was sick. But here in verse 14, Jesus displays his omniscience. And his omniscience, he knows that Lazarus is not just sick, he has died. And then he says this in verse 15, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. That's what I mean by strange joy. His gladness, his joy is expressed in the fact that he was not present with Lazarus to prevent Lazarus' death. Now, that's just odd, strange. Certainly, we know that, that had Jesus come to Lazarus prior to his death, Jesus would have prevented him from dying. In fact, that's exactly what both Martha and Mary said to him in verse 21 and 32. They had the twin testimonies that were identical. Both of them said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even the, the townspeople later say, could not this one who, who caused those who were blind to see again, could not he have prevented Lazarus' death? J.M. Boyce, he makes this excellent point. He says, death could not exist in the presence of Jesus. Someone else that I read this week put it this way. Jesus never came across a funeral that he didn't raise somebody from the dead. So, so that being said, why was Jesus glad and joyful about the fact that he was not present to prevent Lazarus from dying? Well, I would point you back to verse 4 again because I still think that verse looms over the entire text that Jesus is more, in, more concerned about the glory of God and displaying the glory of God for others to see than he is anything else. But I would also point you to what Jesus goes on to say in verse 15. He says, I'm glad for your sake, speaking to his disciples, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. In other words, you see now there's a, there's a dual understanding. Jesus is not only committed to the, the will of his heavenly father and to display the glory of his father to those around him, but he is also committed to the fact that he wants those who see what he does to have their faith increase and to believe upon him. It is for their sakes as well that Jesus was glad he was not there to prevent Lazarus' death. And I would even go on to say this. Had Jesus been there to prevent Lazarus from dying, then his disciples, as well as Martha and Mary and many others who were in Bethany, all of them would have been denied the far greater blessing of witnessing Lazarus' resurrection. And in doing so, they would have missed the opportunity to have their faith strengthened. So the first two puzzles... We've pondered this morning is the strange love that Christ displays as well as his strange joy. And then the third one that I want to direct your attention to this morning is his strange reaction. 
his strange reaction. Look ahead with me down to verses 32 through 35. John tells us that after Martha had told Mary that Jesus had finally come, Mary goes out to meet him. And as she did, she wept. We're also told that others followed Mary to the tomb. They wept as well. What's interesting is that the word that is used there, that that is written there in the Greek, that's translated to weep, it's an interesting word because it implies loud wailing. It it describes a, a, a real... A mourning, a, a one that shows great emotion. It, it's something that you would sometimes see when someone just really weeps uncontrollably sobbing with loud, and this was even common in, in Jewish culture. It was common because they, they even had, would sometimes employ professional mourners to accompany a funeral. These were people to really uh, emote a lot of, of, of wailing and, and a lot of outburst in order to draw attention, but it was a way of showing respect to the one who had died and to the family. And so this is the kind of crying. This is the wailing. This is the outward emotion that's being dis- demonstrated. But notice how, Jesus dis- how John describes Jesus' response there in verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw Mary weeping, And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit, in the spirit, and was troubled. Now, our English translations don't really help us as much as I'd like for, or we we would like for them to here to explain what that means, to groan in his spirit. The word that is used there, the word groaning, every other instance outside of of Scripture, it, it applies to animals. It applies to the snorting of a horse. If you ever seen a horse paw the ground and snort, that's the word that would have been used to describe it. If you ever seen a bull at a bullfight that's getting ready to charge at the, the matador who's holding up, the, 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 when he's pawing the ground and he's groaning and he's grunting, that's the word. So as D.A. Carson has written in his commentary on this passage, as applied to human beings, this verb invariably suggests anger, outrage, or emotional indignation. And then by adding the word troubled after it, John indicates that Jesus became agitated and stirred up. In other words, when Jesus saw this large emotional outburst and all this wailing and all this mourning, in himself he became outraged and furious. That's strange, isn't it? It's curious. In fact, we might question what it was that got Jesus so worked up. What, what caused such a, an outrage within him? Well, some have suggested that it was the mourners who were creating such a show of, of, of forced emotion that got Jesus upset. Others have said that he was angry over unbelief itself. He was implying that, 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 that the men and women were wailing and weeping. They were acting like pagans who really had no reason. They were acting like those who had no hope. Still others propose that that in the face of the reality of death, which the scriptures tell us from the very first chapters in Genesis, death that came as a result of sin, that Jesus is expressing his outrage against the wages that sin has inflicted upon humanity and the grief that sin causes us. Now, personally, I tend to move more into that direction for the reason of Jesus' outrage there. What I want you to know, though, is there's a strange reaction on his part. This anger, this, this angry and troubled response. 
But let me also point out to you that anger was not the only reaction. For those of you who commit to putting Bible verses to memory, John chapter 11, verse 35 is a great one to start with. Jesus wept. But listen, there is so much that is there in those two words. But Jesus, the very Son of God, the one in whom everything came into existence. God of very God wept. Now notice, it's not the same word. This weeping that Jesus did is not the same word that John used to describe the weeping of Mary and the others. He uses a different word. He uses a word that would describe those who, like just like me earlier, when my daughter was up here singing. It's the tears that flow. Now, mine was out of joy, but we do know what it means to weep out of sorrow and sadness. That's the word that is describing Jesus here, that he wept. Here's what's important to note. Jesus was angry at what sin had done and the effect that it had on humanity. And then when he saw, though, he still was a man of compassion. He's still human. He still understands everything you and I understand. He understands what it means to have a broken heart. He knows what it means to experience loss. And he is one who is just like us in all ways. That we go through every emotion that you and I have ever had. Jesus experienced it as well. He is a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. So those are the three puzzles to which we are introduced to in this chapter. And I don't propose to be able to unlock all the mysteries that are, are there. But there is a strange love that is presented to us. There is, a, there is a strange joy that is there. And there's a strange reaction that I think causes us to step back and to, to view that and I think it prepares us for what comes next. Because you see, those things really open us up to three messages that must not be missed. That's the second point on your outline this morning. Three messages not to be missed in this passage. And I propose that embedded in this passage are three messages, or we might say three different pieces of news that must not be missed. And the first one is this. It's the bad news. The bad news. The bad news is what we find that this passage tells us that that death is the enemy of life. As I mentioned, that's what Jesus' outrage and anger communicates to us. It was, it was this wailing and this weeping of Mary and the others that, that, that communicates that, that death is, in, is the enemy of life and appears to be in control. The bad news is, is that it is the ultimate enemy that all of us fear and dread. As we've already discussed, Jesus delayed going to see Lazarus when he was alerted to his sickness. And that delay actually caused him to come to Bethany four days after Lazarus had, been, had died and been placed in the tomb. Verse 17 reminds us of that. And that four-day interval is, is not just superfluous information. It's not just something thrown in there. It's important because in the Jewish life, they believed that after a person died, that the person's soul sort of hovered over the body for three days. And that the soul hovered there in the event that there would be a resuscitation of that body. Maybe someone, the heartbeat just got really low and, and then they, they would come back to life and the soul would re-enter the body and then they would go on living. But after four days, the Jews recognized, listen, the decomposition of the human body is occurring at that point and so there's no more hope for that body to be resuscitated. He's dead. 
He's gone. That's the situation that Lazarus was in. He had been entombed for four days, and from everyone's perspective, Lazarus, all hope for him was gone. His spirit has moved on, and death was final. That's the bad news. The bad news is really there. It's just in that understanding is that death is the enemy of life and death appears to be in control. But I want you to know the bad news is not the only message that we must not miss. Notice also that there is the good news. That's the second point. You'd already guessed it. There's the good news in this passage. The good news is despite all the appearances to the contrary, Jesus proves that he is the life-giving son of God who defeats death. In fact, notice that after being confronted by Martha upon his arrival into Bethany, Jesus tells her in verse 23 that Lazarus will rise again. And to her credit, Martha expresses her confidence that, yes, Lord, I know he's going to rise again in the general resurrection of the last day. But Jesus intends to reorient her thinking away from something that's just going to happen in the future to let her know that there's something that she can be excited about happening right now. What's obvious is that Martha had accepted the bad news, that death is the ultimate enemy and it appears to be in control. Think about what she said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, I know that you had power and had you been here up to the point of his death, you could have stopped it from happening. That's past tense. And I know that in the future, in the last day, in the resurrection, that you will, he will rise again. I know that's going to happen, but right here and right now, death's the enemy of life and it appears to be in control. But Jesus responds to her this way. I am, present tense, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Listen, this is the absolutely wonderful good news of this text. In in this statement, Jesus unequivocally claims ultimate authority over death. R.C. Sproul has written this in verse 25. Jesus was saying, I hold the keys of life and of death. I am the foundation of the power of life itself, and I have the power to raise dead people from the grave. I don't just teach the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the very power of God unto life. And furthermore, notice that Jesus expands what he says in verse 25 by what he says in verse 26, that he is the resurrection in the sense that whoever believes in him, although they may die physically, they will live spiritually and they will live, and they will never have a spiritual death. They will, die, they will never die spiritually ever for all eternity. Listen, that's an astounding claim. Jesus claims to be the giver of life and the only one who can defeat death. And this is truly good, good news. But it's only good news if you can back it up. You know the old saying, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Well, I want you to know Jesus can walk the walk. And you see that by what occurs in verse 38. Notice again, we have that same word groaned again. He groans in his spirit. He snorts his anger. He's getting ready for a battle. He's fixing to show who's boss. And then he groans and he tells some of those to roll away the stone. And then Martha's shocked. She goes, no, no, no. He, by this point, he already stinks, Lord. He's been dead four days. His body's going to smell. Don't do that. Don't embarrass us. 
Don't, Lord, it's, it's too late. Jesus counters her objection by reminding her of his twin purposes that he'd already made clear. He was there to display the glory of God and to raise their faith level to the highest it's ever been. And he lifted his eyes and he thanked his heavenly father and he heard it for hearing him. And with a loud voice, Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth. I love what many have written on this. They said, the reason, why did he say it like that? Why did he say Lazarus, come forth? Because if he had just said, come forth, all the dead would have come out of the tomb. And listen to what John says in verse 44 to to capitalize. This was no staged event. John's making sure we understand it. He says, look, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his his face was wrapped with a cloth. Listen, the emergence of Lazarus proved that Jesus had power over the realm of death. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you'd have been there? You see this mummy all tied up, doing the best that he can to walk out. What an image. Because this man who had been wrapped and left for dead heard his name called by the one who created him to begin with. Called him from death to life and he got out of that tomb as fast as he could. He was getting to the one that called his name. And he got there as quickly as he can. And what did Jesus say to him? Loose him and let him go. Listen, if you've never heard Jesus call your name, he's calling you. He's calling you. Because here's the where it gets to the greatest news. That's good news, what happened to Lazarus. Here's the greatest news. That's your third thing. The greatest news is this. What happened to Lazarus physically, Christ will do for you spiritually. You see, the Bible tells us that all of us are dead. There's not a one of us that escaped that. We're all dead. You say, well, I'm not dead. I'm right here. My heart's beating. I'm breathing. You can be alive physically, yet dead spiritually. In fact, the Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that apart from Christ, we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. That's Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. Paul goes on to explain it even this way. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he explains that through one man, that is Adam, our first parent, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Listen, don't miss that. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You're born with that innate inside you. You are born with a sinful nature. We're all sinners. And we're born with that that propensity to sin. And furthermore, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of that sin is death. Every single one of us in this room, apart from Christ, are dead men, women, children, walking dead people. That's what we are. And what that means is that death has claimed its victory over us, and it is firmly in control. And all of us would remain in death's grip without life and without hope, unless someone more powerful than death, unless someone more powerful than we are comes along and sets us free. Therein lies the message of the greatest news ever told. Jesus is that someone. He is the only one who can break death's power and set us free. The Apostle Paul says this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and following says, for when we were without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. And what that means is that our death was defeated by his death. And the beauty of the gospel message is that Jesus, the one who in, in whom was life, he was sent by his heavenly father to come into this world to die in our place so that we might live. That is the truth of what is declared in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal, non-ending life. You see, to those who believe, to those who hear him call their name and place their faith in him, he snatches them, as it were, from the tomb of their own making. And he resurrects them. And he brings them life everlasting. There is no greater news. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asked her, do you believe this? Listen, the same question is before each and every one of us this morning. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he came to this earth to die for your sins, that you might be saved from your sins and, and have life eternal? Do you believe that? Have you, have you turned loose of anything else? that you're holding on to to be your salvation and put your full weight of who you are resting it solely on Christ and what he has done for you. That is what it means to believe. That's what the Bible talks about being faith. And listen, when you do that, you will experience the gift of life. And what happened to Lazarus physically will happen to you spiritually. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. He says, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who, who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And then he says this, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Listen, that's the greatest news. Publisher's Clearinghouse could show up at your house this afternoon with a check for $100 million. It still would pale in comparison to having an eternity in heaven with the one who died to give you life. And that brings me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. Through his substitutionary death and victorious resurrection, Jesus brings glory to his Father and life to the spiritually dead who believe him. You get that? That's what Jesus does. Through his death and resurrection, he brings glory to the Father and he brings life to those who will believe in him. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that's the sermon in a sentence. There's still a whole other point left on my outline and it's coming and it's coming quick, so be careful. Um, we, we've looked at the three puzzles. We've looked at the three messages. We've looked at the sermon in a sentence. Every bit of that, I hope, leads us to three little points of application. In fact, applications to be acted upon. That's what's your third point there. And it's the first one is this. Brothers and sisters, be careful. Be careful. Listen, in light of what we've considered other, earlier, be careful about how you estimate God's love for you. Just because God sometimes delays, just because he doesn't, always immediately swoop in and fix everything that may be troublesome to you? Just because you may experience pain and suffering in this life, that in no way means that God does not love you. 
As we saw, God has clearly demonstrated his love for you by sending his son Jesus to die in your place on the cross. Therefore, if he loves you that much to do that, then be careful not to misjudge his love for you when you face hard and difficult times. It could very well be, just as we saw in this passage, that God is working through your circumstances to accomplish something far greater than you're able to see at the moment. The reality is that God's delays are often his ways of bringing about blessings into our lives that are far greater than we can imagine. So be careful about how you estimate God's love. It may seem strange, but there's no greater love than the love that he gives. That brings the next application that we need to be acted, that needs to be acted upon, and that's, that's this, be humble. Be humble. The reality of what is revealed to us in this passage is that none of us have any room in our lives for boasting. Not a one of us. As we noted, from a spiritual perspective, all of us are just like Lazarus, who was physically dead, dead in our trespasses and sins. We could no more raise ourselves from the dead than Lazarus could. We have no ability to make ourselves alive again. We are dead. It took Jesus to breathe life into Lazarus' physical body. And let me tell you, it takes Jesus to bring life into a dead man, woman, boy, or girl who is dead spiritually. And therefore, pride and self-promotion, they have no place in our hearts. Rather, our boast should only and always be that Jesus Christ gave his life in our place and for our benefit. And for some of you, that may mean that you need to humble yourself before the Lord for the very first time. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to recognize your need for his grace and, your mer- and mercy. Listen, if you will do that, if you will place your faith in Jesus, you will be raised to walk in newness of life. The clear message of the gospel is that if you will humble yourself before the Lord, he will raise you up. So be careful, be humble. And then the third is to be thankful. Be thankful. Listen, if your testimony is that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you have every reason to be thankful today. You have every reason to rejoice. Lazarus' resurrection was an awesome miracle. I've sometimes wondered what Lazarus was thinking when Jesus called him by name and he came out of that tomb. I don't, know where he, I don't know where he was or what all, the, everything that was happening, but I've also thought, Lord, I've already died once. Now I've got to die again. And he did. He was raised with a, a little corruptible body. He was raised with a body that had to experience death a second time. In fact, if you go to John chapter 12, he was raised to walk into the middle of a buzzsaw because all the Jews now wanted to kill him just like they wanted to kill Jesus. If you're Lazarus, this isn't the best news. But let me tell you what is the best news. To those that that trust in Christ, when, when we die and when we get our resurrected bodies, it will be just like that of Jesus. Did you notice when Lazarus came out, he was wrapped in the grave clothes. He still had the grave cloth around him. What happened on Easter Sunday morning? On the resurrection day, when they rolled back the stone and they found Jesus, what did they find? They found all of those grave clothes lying there just like they had been on his body. And the, and the napkin to, uh, folded up and laid to the side. 
Why? Because Jesus was raised with a body that was incorruptible and he promises to give each and every one of his followers that same kind of body. We have every reason to be thankful this morning. We are not going to be raised only to die again. We are raised to walk in newness of life and that life everlasting. And because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, death is now swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have every reason to be thankful this morning because of what Christ has done for you. And so that is your testimony. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, one way that we can show our thankfulness and one way we can be reminded is to take this out. This this cup that contains the element of the Lord's Supper. Turn it up so that the wafer is on top. You can remove that top piece back and take that wafer out. That wafer is there to remind us Remind us of the body of Christ that was broken and put on that cross and nailed there. He was a a human being just like you and just like me. He had a human nature. He understood. He wept just as we weep. He understood us in in, in the very raw emotions of our time. He came as a man to die as a man for the sake of men. And so we come this morning. And we remember that as we take this wafer, as we eat of it, take it. Now turn it over. Don't open it yet. Just shake it around a little bit. Whenever I do this, I always. I'm always reminded of how it's supposed to remind us of his blood. The blood of Christ shed. Why is that so important? Why is it it important that we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for us? Because all the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy God's wrath against man's sin took Christ, the Holy One, God Himself in human form to shed His own blood. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Our only hope for forgiveness is that Jesus Christ shed His blood for us. So when we come here and we look at that, Don't let the moment pass that you don't consider the fact that though this is juice, it represents the blood of Christ shed for me. In light of that, take and drink. So we have come here today on this Palm Sunday and we've read the story about Lazarus being raised from the tomb and in it we have witnessed a reminder of the same very miracle that has happened in our lives but an even greater one. If we have come to faith in Christ, Jesus has raised us spiritually from our dead tomb. And I want you to know 
just as he said to those around Lazarus, he says to us, be loosed from all of those chains and be set free. To go into a world and to carry the same good news of this gospel with them. This week, we will have more opportunities at your places of work, within your family, at school, to have gospel opportunities because it's Holy Week. And you have the opportunity to go and to be set free, to have those conversations, to to explain to others the hope that you have within you, that it rests in the once crucified and once resurrected and coming again Savior. So do that. Be loosed and be set free with the power of the gospel. Because through his substitutionary death and his victorious resurrection, Jesus Christ brings glory to his Father and he brings life to the spiritually dead who will believe in him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. And thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for the beautiful picture that you provided for us in this passage. Thank you for the opportunity that we have as a people to observe the Lord's Supper and to partake of the elements there and to be reminded yet again of your sacrifice for us. Now, Father, in this time of invitation, in this time of singing and committing our hearts to you, I pray, Lord, that you would do a great work in, in us, even now. I pray that you would bring conviction upon those in this room that may not believe in you. God, that you would help them to understand that their only hope is in you. We're going to sing those, song, those words. So I pray, God, that as those words are sung and as this text has continued to be molded over, that you would do a work of redemption in their hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done and for what you're going to do in Christ's holy name.